Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I am the very puffy-faced JB, joined with the puffy-eyed Phil. Hello, Phil. <laughs> Hello, JB. Uh, are you, have you recovered after after this week's debauchery? Um, it, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, but uh, I've recovered from celebrating our friends, Mike and Emily, get married. Mm-hmm. England rugby win. And England's unbelievable cricket win. Oh yes, of course. Well, before we get in, get into that, we'll be joined by the extreme, extremely puffy walleted Tim Cocker. How are you, mates? <laughs> Very well. Hey, listen, I, I do not want anyone to think that I am not in studio with you because I'm taking a holiday or anything. I am in Greece because it is the home of shipping containers, exactly. and I am here to scope out a podcasting shipping container for the forthcoming season. I mean, that that's real commitment. By anyone's standards, that's real commitment. Dedication to the cause. Very good, Tim. And in terms of in terms of the cricket, I am inspired by JB's love of drinking at altitude. I actually <laughs> spent the entire day on Sunday sat in a rooftop hotel pool bar watching cricket, and I, that was six hours of my life brilliantly invested. Oh, wasn't it just... I've only ever seen two games, two games of cricket, really, like really paid attention to them. One was the World Cup final, and the other one was this Ashes Test. Test. You have picked two of the best games you possibly could. Uh, if you're a neutral, these are two of the best games. But if you are a fan of the England and Welsh cricket team, you have picked two of the the best you could ever have picked. Yeah, it's quite. I, I like, I like the return on the investment of time. <laughs> that, that's how I feel about it. It's like it, it, it feels right. Yeah, um, I've, I'm afraid it's going to be only be downhill from here. It can't be. That's all. That's all the cricket is. Ben Stokes winning things. <laughs> yeah, th- I mean, uh, th- there's a lot of rugby. Fa- you know how you love JB a a really good scrum or a rolling mall. Oh yes, but. But ca- but casual rugby fans will sort of not understand and not enjoy the the, the sheer joy of an incredible driving mall. No, uh, it's the same with cricket because one of, one of my other favourite cricket matches to watch was when it was it ended up being a draw 
in South Africa and it was Michael Atherton getting like 185 not out and him and Alan Donald just having a... England couldn't win the game and Mike Atherton just batted for about two days to save the test. There is something rather heroic, isn't there, about just staying in and batting low numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of what Leach... That that was the cricket equivalent of of a rolling ball. Yeah, Leach... One run. Yes. One run. What a run. <laughs> what an incredible run. <laughs> but that was partly because of Ben Stokes' magnificent just control of where he was batting and when. Oh, my word. It Welcome was quite to the... the um, what, what the what, egg chasers doesn't work anymore. No, I don't know what the, the Willow is. The Willow hitters... Cricket podcast. Yeah. Yes. Well, we should talk about some rugby, I guess, because there was some this weekend. There was some rugby. There's also a bit of news going there on. There is a bit of news. On and about. Which I, I, we'll get to news later. Um, yeah, we had a warm-up game of, well, I don't know. Would you call it significant? I don't think it was that significant. Be- before the game, I thought it was going to be significant. I, I would suggest it was reasonably significant for both teams, actually. Um I, I certainly think both teams will learn something about themselves from, from that game. Oh, my word. You're not wrong. Uh, uh, I think Ireland have got a lot of learning to do. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, it was not a good Ireland performance. Did, did you manage to find somewhere in Greece that showed the game, Tim? Yeah, well, no, actually, I, um, I didn't travel till Sunday, so I, I watched it. Um. Well, I, I thought you'd been away all week. Hello? Oh no, of course I have. That was last week. I watched the <laughs> Wales England game. Are you last okay, week mate? Before I travelled. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm a I'm a, I'm a few Ciparos deep this evening. Um, yes, no, I did. I did find I did find somewhere to watch it. Um, Are you on my sure? Why would you lie about this? And, this is peculiar. <laughs> yeah, this really. I my brain is escaping me. Yes, I did, and I think this is very smart from Ireland because <laughs> how many World Cups have Ireland been disappointed to have got knocked out in the quarterfinals? They want to avoid that this time, and they're doing that by going out in the group stages. <laughs> well, I'm that, that's a hell of a look, hell of a way to avoid uh, the quarterfinal heartbreak. Yeah, well, I'm going to say this wasn't a good game for England. That would be my initial takeaway. <laughs> you did say that uh, after the last Island game when England hammered Ireland. Yeah, and I was you, right. You said I was absolutely right. Here's why England needs to be worried. Yes, and and nothing really has changed. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Ireland should have been worried. They went to play Wales in Cardiff. And if you look at those teams like for like, talent for talent, Wales versus England, Wales should have lost that. England should have beaten Wales. Now, looking at what Ireland did this weekend, it looks like they haven't learned a single thing from playing England last time. It was like exactly the same game, except England had improved. And Ireland sort of buried their head in the sand and thought, oh, yeah, that must be some sort of one-off result against England. No, it's not. No, it's not. Ireland, have, I mean, it's bad. It is real bad for Ireland. It's also bad for England, because if they believe that every team they're going to face are going to be as bad as Ireland, they've got another thing coming. Well, so there's there's quite a lot to unpack there. I think, I think one thing, Ireland, Ireland did change their tactic. So one of the things that Ireland did badly mm. against England last time was they kicked poorly and gave the back, th- <laughs> back three possession. Well, they certainly kicked this, poorly again this this well, time round. They didn't really kick. 
They, they, no, they didn't. Because because they didn't get enough t- possession to kick. Oh. So they, they didn't get the opportunity to kick. So they're kicking. It was discussed in the week about the, um, the total lack of box kicking that they played, the tactic they employed against Italy. And they did something similar again. But well, it was it was partly a consequence of not simply not having the ball. Very funny you say that because I've got all my little notes here. Was Ireland's kicking strategy part of the way they wanted to unlock England? Because Burn made four kicks to nothing. I mean, they, just four, three in the first half. Just dreadful, kind of speculative. Like it, what, the sort of kick, and this is not a joke either. It's not me trying to be funny or anything like that. It is exactly the sort of kick that you see someone do who has never played rugby before. <laughs> like, in your first ever game session of rugby, someone gives you the ball and you just boot it as hard as you can in the air. He did that four times. He, he did one as well in the second, second half. Second half, it was, it was egregious. Where, where Conor Murray passed it back into him in the 22, and he just boots it straight out about 10 yards outside the 22. Yeah. Uh, but obviously he carried it back in, which gave England a line-out in his own 22. Uh which, which, that was a schoolboy mistake. Yeah, I'm very, very reticent to criticise players this strongly, really, because you never know, you might meet the guy or something, and I'm sure he didn't want to go out and have this performance. That might have been the worst international performance by a 10 who was paid to play the game at <laughs> Tier 1 I've ever seen. And that's no exaggeration. Do I, I, I think that is being a bit harsh. It, it was what his, did he do well? It was his first start. Um, I thought some of his tackling was good when there were big boys running at him. When okay, he had Itoji fair. and Tuolagi and Billy, he he did miss a couple. He slipped off a couple, but he also put some good ones in. Um, but, I mean, you would do, it, wouldn't you? It you must be so frustrated. But it, part of it was... So, your 10 can only play as well as the ball that the pack give him. Mm. And he did not have a good time of it because the because of the pack. And I'll say this in, in two main regards: one, the lineout was awful. Abysmal. E- even when Ireland did win the ball, it was just totally, totally disrupted by Italian Lineouts aren't that hard. They're not that hard. I know people are going to say, "Oh, well, you know, it's a, you know a, a professional level and this that, and the other." It's just not that hard. You just call the, call the right ball, and with the right scheme, you should win a lot of lineout ball. Well, it should not be that hard at international level. Rory Best has got to take some responsibility. Ab- absolutely, he does. Um, and again, that's another thing which a lot of island um, watchers have been noting, is that maybe this guy's just one year past it. He might be. Now, I, I mean, it well, shouldn't really affect his throwing, but it is. It, it shouldn't. Um, for a long period of time, the line-out has been very good for Ireland. Mm. I, know, I know they did not play well. The, their set piece faltered against Wales um, again in the Six Nations, but it has for a long period of time been good. I would look at this one and say you're missing James Ryan and Toner yep. from the starting line. You've gone for Hendo and, and Klein, um, who are big, solid boys, but they're not they're not renowned for being line out forwards. But you know, like, and and Itoji and Cruis just seem to read everything brilliantly. But the thing about lineouts, okay, and uh, I'm sure people will disagree with me on this. But it's more about scheme than it is personnel. Yes, you do get amazing line-out jumpers and noses who know everything about line-outs. But ultimately, if you go into a line-out and you've got two second rows that can jump and, say, two back rows that can jump, you really you should be calling it to the space. It's not about the individuals. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's about reading the, the game and combinations and the calls and then just getting your de- details right. It's not about one superstar guy who can magically unlock line-outs. Now, they do exist. Retallick against England would, would be a great, a great example. But generally speaking, it should be a lot easier than what Ireland made it yeah. look. 
They they really struggled. The, the, when the pressure came on, and actually it didn't change at all. If anything, it possibly got worse when Cronin came on. <laughs> yeah, Cronin, Cronin, for all his 30-yard, 40-yard, 50-yard tries, he has always struggled a little bit the line-out. So, uh, so the line-out was one thing that, that majorly put pressure on Ireland. The other thing that majorly put pressure on Ireland was winning the game-line battle. Oh, my when, word. when they were both attacking and defending, England won that game-line battle consistently. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you've just said. I think we, we've spoken about the poor performance of Rossburn. I think we should throw the spotlight on the England 10 shirt. And George Ford, I mean, a lot of people were suggesting he shouldn't be in the England squad in the first place at the expense of someone like Danny Cipriani, exactly. yourself included, JB. Phil and I have been praising his form for Leicester all season. And in Leicester's worst ever season, he had an incredible year. Top point scorer in the Gallagher Premiership. Grabbed the team by the scruff of the neck. He's a man who's been in incredible form in a poor team, and he's transferred that into the international arena. In international arena, yeah, um, he's transferred that. He's transferred that domestic form into the international arena, and I don't think that Eddie Jones was thinking Ford Farrell would be his axis again, ten twelve. But I think it's George Forms, George Ford's form that has demanded that that is now back on the table. We were talking about it last week, and it looks like that could well be the recipe for the World Cup. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. I think Ford has forced his way back in, uh, particularly over the warm-up games. And I tell you the other guy that makes the biggest difference, and it's not Ford, it's not Farrell, it's Tuolangi. Tuolangi allows him to do these things. Yeah, you are definitely right about that. Having Tuolangi there as is almost as, as an out Yeah, um, for those two, but also having Thokkanasinga as well. Yeah. As someone who can, I mean, the the strike runners. If you look at the the meters made um, in terms of the backline, those two hardly make any meters at all. But they don't need to no. because those two are there to create space and give opportunity for the guys outside them, which they did multiple times for each one of the individuals. Because if Tuolagi is taking a hard line, you've got the option of the Tuolagi, or you've got Johnny May or Elliot Daly or Thokkanasinga out the back, which yeah. is. It gives them so many options. Now, I often think the worst part about developing a drug habit <laughs> is, is that if drugs are all of a sudden not available or you end up in jail, you're going to have a rather hard time of it. And I think Manu Tuolangi is a very dangerous drug for England fans to go and get high on. Well, we, we have seen this uh, particular high and the lows, the crash Yes. Four, haven't we? I mean, Man- Manu Tuolangi is rugby cocaine. Uh, <laughs> the beautiful, beautiful highs, but the, <laughs> the crash the crushing down to lows. Us. Um, which is, I was, I was thinking this. I was thinking that, like, what if Tuolangi's out in England? They've got options. But no, they, they don't. No, no one is. <laughs> no one's the same. Now, you you can play. So. Billy Vanapola can start if you're taking a line out, for mm. example, or just off loose ball, rook ball. Billy Vanapola can stand in the centres. Cockney Singer can stand wherever he wants. Really, he can come in wherever he wants. Yep, they're not as destructive and as quick. I guess, or like it's the combination, it's isn't the power. it? Power. He's that, just that, got power that Manu has. It, it, it's, it's like that. Um, it, it's that uh, whole thing of walking. Uh, was it Roosevelt walk? Gently, but carry a big stick. And there was there was one in I forget which one it was. There's one where they went from a scrum 
and it looked like oh no that was uh, that, that was a different was two different points actually I'm making the same point with a different person okay. actually it was the th- the threat of Billy Vanapola running meant Bundiaki stayed very tight to the scrum which meant there was loads of space out wide and oh was, was that the, the first Cockle single had try to, had to mark to Alangi yes yeah but like so my problem with Ireland I've got so many problems uh, with Ireland let's just have a look first of all at how England attacked. Every time England had their hands on the ball, they they looked like they had intent. They looked like someone had got some sort of threat and wanted wanted to break the game line. George Ford was beating men; he's putting men in space. The men he passed to looked like they were, you know, at least threatening the line. Ireland took everything completely and utterly static. Yeah, it was dread. I mean, there was one. I don't know if you noticed this, but one time Byrne gives the ball in a sort of like. Kind of, you know, that typical formation. You've got a lead runner, one one out the back, one out the side, so on and so forth. And he gives it to Jordan Lama, who is immediately running sideways. There is no, there's no um, go forward whatsoever. Within the first two minutes, Stuart Barnes said, well, I don't usually praise going sideways, but that was wonderful by Ireland. I was like, no, it's not. It's utter garbage. But they were two minutes in and they weren't to know that all they were going to do is, do is go sideways. Uh, now, as for the defence... Two tries from first phase ball is unacceptable. It's just not good enough. Uh, and then two of them, uh, the the Atoji one, the Island defence basically gave up. Yeah, that it was um, Jack McGrath just totally did not read his line and left uh, Furlong all alone with Atoji. Yeah, the Underhill try. Um, is it Underhill or Curry? The Curry where uh, it was Sinclair Curry to Underhill, and, yeah. Underhill to Sinclair. Again, that uh, looked like a training Curry. drill. They looked like they were running against tackle bags. Yeah, and that was only a couple of phases... You're right. I think so. If going back to Ireland, I think I think there's there's a couple of things they'll take heart on. One that I mentioned before, having the not the first choice second rows. Yep. They will look at rebuilding that line out, and not having Carberry or um, Sexton in there is massive. Burn did not. However, have, did not have a great. However, game. sorry to interrupt. Sorry, no, I it's okay. To interrupt. I was going to say. However, what. What on earth has happened to CJ Stander? What on earth has happened to Connor Murray? There are big players who are shadows of themselves. Well, I just in, won- this, in this game, yeah, yeah well, they, no, they were. Yeah. I wonder if Ireland is just a little bit too formulaic because I was watching them set up for their attack, and they looked like they were trying to run a pattern rather than trying to attack England. And I think they might have just got caught up in being almost almost a bit too too robotic. But it, it worked for them once. I mean, they scored the first try. They scored a good try. Um, I think it, I think it was a scrum or a line-out on the right-hand side. They played one phase, recycled the ball quickly, mm. went wide to Stockers to give him a, the opportunity to have a one-on-one with Daly, and he chipped over the top and it bounced back to Lama. So, and that, that they, they managed to exploit, because England play this kind of... It's an initial push with the first few men, but then a drift out from outside 12. Yeah. There's, they're, they're a bit slow and they drift, but that allows you to get someone like Stockers. And he did it um, a couple of times. He did it three times, actually, um, where he was given a one-on-one or space out wide. So they managed to get it a handful of times, but no more than that. And I, I would, again, I'd attribute that to the misfunction in forward pack and an inexperienced 10 not controlling the game. Yeah, but I just think they were, well, they were, they were simply woeful. There, there, there's no other, I mean, there is, I can't think of a single good outcome for Ireland from, uh, from this. I can't think of one place where they even remotely te- tested in England. 
Uh, uh, do you know what I've noticed? I've noticed in this whole conversation is JB, you're 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 going massively heavy on on Ireland being woeful. <laughs> is that just to avoid any compliment no, well, of England? So here's the thing on England, right? England, when they meet a matchup that they like, are awesome. I mean, they are genuinely awesome. They can be anyone who plays like that against them. So what, what, what I mean by that is Ireland are quite a physical team. Uh, Leinster are quite a physical team. And to think that they came to Twickenham with that game game plan, almost the same game game plan that they used in Dublin and got spanked there, and they thought that they could do, do that at, uh, at, at Twickenham is just... It just boggles the mind. England can do yeah, this, I, but you need to be a bit smarter. And if you are smarter, you can be England yeah. just as well. Showed totally. Uh, and Ireland, Ireland won't play like that in a World Cup. They'll go back to to their simple game plan. They'll play how Wales did last week with loads of bombs against teams like England. And um, I don't understand why they didn't kick very much. Maybe they were just trying other things, but. Uh, there are still question marks for England for my money. Scrum half, Ben Youngs is not in yes. great form. Ben and Youngs, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's, that's an issue. Elliot Daly, as we've talked about before, irresistible going forward, shaky at the back with Cock and the Singer in the same back three. That's yeah. a big question mark um, for me still. And, and do we know what's that... happened to Mako yet? No, but... No, no, Ed, Eddie Jones, so I've watched the press conference afterwards and Eddie Jones says it was just pre- precautionary. Um how much of that is true and how much he's just covering and how much he actually know, knew at that stage, we just don't know. But that, that is worrying. Mm. Yeah, but I, I think your two other points are absolutely spot on. Ben Youngs, Ben Youngs did not have a good game. Yeah, and they still battered Ireland. Yeah, and, and actually there were, there were times where Ben Youngs' awful, awful passes worked out well, but only because the likes of Jamie George and Sinclair and Marler, who were... Who were looking to truck the ball up were picking balls off their toes but they're so talented yeah. they can pick a ball off their toes and still get upright and make yards an- an- another day and his performance could have been absolutely lethal to him yeah yeah it, w- it was an awful performance by Penny it really really was uh, I-, I tell you the other guy I mean I say he doesn't get any credit he gets loads of credit he gets all the credit in the world and rightly so uh, so ignore the first part of that sentence <laughs> but um, I thought Maro Toji was awesome. He he, he was. Now, he was awesome. He now, was he was everywhere yeah. as well. So I used to play with this guy uh, at Broughton Park, and I always used to think that I was better than him in like drills. I was always better. Than him. I was definitely a stronger carrier. Blah blah blah. blah. Faster? Uh, probably not faster. But you know, this is back in the day when I used to play in the backs. Yeah, I'd watch him in a game. And he'd always be effective. And one day it just dawned on me what he was doing is he's just so much fitter. He had so many more carries. The volume of carries made up for the for the fact that he wasn't, you know, Billy Van Polar or for that matter, me. Um, <laughs> and I kind of thought about uh, Maru uh, Otoji, which is the volume of carrying. Eventually something's going to break. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. He starts with like a two-yard carry and then it turns into two and a half yards and three yards. And before you know it, he's just having clean line breaks. And there was one in particular, one offload sequence where I think it was Marrow, Sinclair, Billy. And I can't remember which try it led to. It might have led to uh, Dr. Singer's first try. 
but there was just a a midfield carry where each one of those was taking two defenders with them and then getting the offload to the guy coming on at exactly the right time. Yeah. Take, take two yard, two defenders for five yards, then offload at just the right time. And it's just it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. But, yeah, the England pack were very, very can I, can, Yeah, yeah. And, and on that, can I mention, um, firstly, it, it feels like Maru Itoji is trying to aspire to Sonny Bill Williams' In terms of shorts, yes, yep. shorter. His shorts are getting smaller. Shorter, please. Did watch this space. Marutoji's shorts are getting smaller. But also, can we just talk about how frightening Sam Underhill, the Wonderhill, how frightening his shoulders are? They are. They aren't are they? freakish. Yeah, I. I mean, I loved. I, I was a bit worried about the uh, Underhill Curry. Um, back row combination only from the point of view of line out ball because you've got right, kind I'm of, glad you mentioned this you got it was talked about as having three not particularly specialist um line out jumpers in the back certainly Billy Vanapolo is not a specialist jumper and Underhill and Curry are not specialist jumpers they're specialist in, enough in, England's line out was absolutely fine yeah they were used yeah intelligently exactly they were used at the right time and obviously having Cruis and Itoji there massively like Tom Curry is a six foot two Super athlete. You know, he can get off the ground just fine. Yeah. And, you know, if he's, presumably, if he's jumping, he's probably getting lifted by someone who's 6'5", 6'6", or one of the... Pro- it's absolutely fine. Anyone saying, oh, yeah, England are struggling for options, they're really not. You know, you've, you've got three there. And mm, could you lift Underhill? Probably not, actually. You, oh, could you, yeah. Billy? Well, I mean, they, they probably Underhill, could, actually. Underhill... Is not nowhere near. With those shoulders, you want you want underhill lifting. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I've even seen Jeez, I've even seen Billy go up for Saracens. Yes, so it's not. But, I mean, well, these are, you can get Billy up as long as you manufacture a position where he, there's no one competing against him. Yeah, because anyone else is going to get up faster but, than Billy. But, in fairness, who would compete against him? No, no, I you, mean, who would you, be marking up? All right, it's going to go to Billy. Yeah. What about Cruis and yeah. Atoji? You're going to mark them. Ex- um. Exactly. That, that's what I mean. You yeah, can, you can use him if he was a primary jumper. If say. Chris and Itoji go off and you have to bring on, I don't know, Wilson and a, another prop, Dan Cole or someone like that. So Billy's your go-to main guy. guy. Hmm. And Billy's getting marked. You've got no chance. Yeah, that's a little bit different, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and they've got laws on the bench, haven't they? So when he comes on, all of a sudden they've got three, not just good jumpers, but excellent jumpers. England's line-out is absolutely fine. It, it baffles me that people who watch as much rugby as they do comment on the, li- on the line-out as if it's... You know, level seven rugby in Liverpool somewhere. Like, if just because you're a big lad doesn't mean you can't go up. You, you can go yeah, up. Anyone can lift them. Yeah. Um, just one they can the... shoulder. They can shoulder press way more than the than the heaviest person's weight on their own. Let exactly. alone the two of them. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, one last thing I wanted to mention because this I think this is a real positive from this game, but I need to see more of it. So, England England were overall. By far the better team in this game. Yeah, there were times because that that island pack that island pack didn't have a huge game going forward, but there were times where they were stopping England dead defensively. It mm-hmm. wasn't for consistent uh, extended periods, but there were times when they were stopping England in their tracks. The positive out of this was then the decision making and the um, tactical kicking from both Faz, but more actually George Ford to find space uh, mm. and find touch. And it was 
partly poor positioning by the Ireland back three, who I didn't think had a particularly good game, but it was well exploited by England. Yeah. And that gave the territory, which allowed England to put pressure on Ireland's line-out, and once the pressure was on Ireland's line-out, it became the England show. Yep, I, can, I, I completely agree with that. I, th- I think Ireland's... I, I can't... I, I'll ask you to this. Did Ireland have no plan? Or were they just too woeful to execute it? So I, I think Ireland had a plan, and I think what, we, do you said, what do you think that might be? Because I couldn't work it out for the life of me. So I think we, we, I think we saw it on the first yeah, go, try. Go on, go on, Tim. No, I was just going to say we like you, you seem obsessed with talking about how <laughs> bad Ireland were. Oh, I, I, do you know? Because I'm actually astonished. I'm actually astonished about how bad they were. This, I mean, this is a historic loss. It is. I mean, how can you not they, be they, astonished? They won't be that bad again. They, they didn't. They didn't kick, and I think that was a that was deliberate, and they will not replicate that again. They they didn't do basics well. The whole you know yeah. get the field position first, earn the right to play, and then do it. All those all those basics that we'll see in the World Cup from every team. I will. Yeah, I, I will. I, I will did, add this. Didn't do it at all here. I I will add this. I keep saying lack of intent on the ball. They're always going sideways. Every one of their first receivers was standing still. Basic stuff that you teach kids. They weren't doing. Um. That will change when Johnny Sexton gets involved. Yeah. Because it has to change. That will change when Carberry gets involved. However, you can't go back to this lad Byrne ever again. I mean, not until this, they've got like... This will be a good learning experience for Byrne. Uh, yes, this will absolutely. Be a hell of a, he, he is a young, young man. Yeah. He, he, you would learn more from days like that than if it had been a... a com- than if he'd been in George Ford's shoes on the, the um, front of a 50-point victory. All I'm going to say, right, is um, just... Just hope, just hope you, 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 your two starters don't get into any bother because you can't call up him. And if you do need to call up someone, yeah, sure, Jack Carty's fine, but swallow your pride. Give Paddy Jackson a call. That's the only way they, they, they could have done anything this weekend because the two tens that they had available to them, I just don't think were good enough. Or, or Steno, but anyway, we've, we've definitely Steno. We've talked loads. We've talked loads about. Ireland being poor, and as we've said, as we all acknowledge, they won't be that poor again. Yes. So it's there's an element of it that's kind of immaterial to go into such depth on on a really poor Ireland. It was, I think, it's incredibly promising what we've seen from England. As you said, the big caveat: can Manu Tuolangi stay fit? Well, um, I think the big caveat think, is: do, will England's style match the? match up well against who they play against that's the caveat caveat for me now you saw them hammer France talk about a team which won't play that bad again France um, you've seen Argentina who attack the fringes of teams very very well so it's not entirely clear to me uh, that their style will match up I have a feeling now after seeing that they will they can overpower Argentina quite handily not that convinced about France well, speaking yeah. speaking of France, did you, did you see the game? Well, it's inter- no, uh, yeah, no, no. Oh, uh, I saw the results, not the game. Uh, so I've seen the extended highlights. France didn't play particularly well. Did they not? <laughs> no. Coming off of a win where they did play very well, very well. But that's it's so French, <sighs> isn't it? They're not going to be able to string two, more than two uh, good performances together in a row, are they? As long as they just either beat Argentina or England. I think they. W- I think France will beat Argentina, but I don't think France can beat. Eng- uh, France can beat England, one in ten at the at the moment at the c- current rate of performance for both teams. So if you think about this French team, okay, 
not this actual French team, but this French team, like this year and the one the year before. There's no two ways about it. They are, they were poor. The, is it, not Jacques Brunel, who was the guy before that, uh, before him? Um, anyway, does, it doesn't matter. His team. Oh, Guy Noves. Guy Noves team, right? They were poor. And they, exactly what you were saying, they couldn't string, well, any performances together. Yeah. But they did beat England. They did. Uh, so, you know, I saw France last week and they looked very, very well coached. So I, I don't know what, what's going on. But I wouldn't count my chickens before they hatch uh, in regards to England playing France. No, no. France can beat England. Yeah. I just don't think... If if England played France ten times, England would win eight or nine of them, I think. They'd win the five at home and they'd lose the five away. <laughs> no. That's how it would work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, this this was this was exactly what Scotland needed. However, mm. this this was a good point. And when I mean after after a minute and a half, one minute forty seconds, when Peter Horn throws an intercept to Damien Pinot and he gallops in fifty yards under the post, you think this is going to be a long day for Scotland. But they, and then Pinot scored again, did he not? He did. He scored two tries. Um, Scotland did well, apart from those two, to keep him and Racker quiet. The um, blitz defence from the wings was very, very good at shutting those two down. And they, they timed it. Maitland and Seymour timed it right on a number of occasions where, had they been a yard slower, Racker or Pernod would have had enormous space in front of them. Yeah. So they, they, they did well on that. They did well to read and stop them. Um, the pack performed well as well. And one man that I love, who is so difficult to to tackle and to play against, is Hamish Watson. He's good, isn't who's, he? He's just he's, he's so much energy. And he's such a low centre of gravity, so difficult to stop. So it was a, a, an adequate overall performance and a good result for Scotland in that game. Um, what do you think of the two teams that have been announced for the World Cup, the, the two squads? Well, there's three announced this week. Okay, um, so we got Australia. Australia was announced on about Wednesday. Yep. Argentina was, I think, the day before or the day after that. And then uh, South Africa was just today. Oh, my. Right. Let, we'll talk about the other two. Let's talk about South Africa first. <laughs> and not about the team, because we know that they're an amazing team. The, t- the, team, is, the team is brilliant. The team but, has got depth in every single position. But the question is, how would you know the team is brilliant? Because <laughs> the nonsense that the SRU put, put out on... the on, I mean, their press release... Not press release. Their, their graphic is one of the worst thing, things I've ever seen. I thought I saw the worst ever rugby graphic on Friday night with Toulon. <laughs> putting out their team sheet and it looked like a front row of five I know the, it was I was trying to work out who, who was playing in that Toulon team that was a joke but no South Africa saw that hold my beer and here we have it I mean I do not understand so if you've not seen this I'm going to just describe it to you um, they're very sensibly grouped all of the players into positions I like that that, that, does, makes, that massively helps well done they have then spelt the names of the players from the top going down. So on the horizontal plane, you have props. And then on a vertical plane, you've got kits off, followed by Stephen. It is a nightmare. It's awful. To, it, it's, I thought I was in the Matrix for a second. <laughs> the Matrix is a great way to describe what is going on here. <laughs> it is an absolute joke. That's I actually a- know why. I, Do you? I, yes, I know why as, uh, as well, actually. It's not excusable, though. Tim, why? It's how they, it's how it's how it's uh, 
done in Japan. Yeah, it's the, a Japanese yeah, right down. format. Ah. Having said that, Tim, okay, if the World Cup was to be held in, say, Saudi Arabia, it would be a little bit bizarre if if <laughs> they started right to left, <laughs> <Yeah>. back to front. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong; it is a nod to the culture, but don't bother. Uh, you know, just don't. We just want to know the team. We know we're going to Japan. Well, and we'll learn all about the culture there. I don't need the South African squad announcement to educate me on Japanese formatted writing. Well, that that was the second egregious thing that the Springboks Twitter handle did today. Because the first one <laughs> yes. was announcing 1 to 31, one tweet at a time. Maximum so engagement, pal. Your number one Springbok is Sia Khaleesi. Your number two Springbok is... Andre Pollard. And you've got to string all, string all the tweets together, the 30-something tweets. Ugh. Yeah, Springboks, you need to get... Just because I wonder if, just because they've got the rack together on the rugby pitch, they feel they can be complacent in other areas now. Whereas <laughs> yeah. before, when they were playing terrible rugby, they had to be pretty good at this stuff. Not, any, not anymore. They Go can, wild, boys. They can do what they want. <laughs> So um yeah I... the, the yeah the, the manner the manner of letting us know about the squad was uh, one thing that was dreadful the squad itself oh my goodness that looks like a world cup winning squad it does doesn't it I mean, yes. half of me thinks maybe they release it like this. So, um, you know, you need a uh, like a group of code breakers to work out who you're going to play against. It could be a rather nifty little uh, advantage for them. But you're right; it's an amazing squad. Yeah, and an amazing story. And and for one of the the great guys in in rugby at the stage of his career, he's at at the age he's at to see Scout Brits. Yes. going to the World Cup. But how a, many good stories are there in, the, in this team? I mean, Scott Bricks is an, amaz- is an amazing story. Uh, don't forget Faf de Klerk and, Co- and Kobus Reinach. They're, they're not in this country because, you know, they thought that they were going to make the spring box. Like, quite the opposite. Uh, and then you've got, Se- the, the, you know, you've got the whole background on Sir Khaleesi. I mean, this team is about as storied as it gets. Yeah. And about as talented as it gets. Oh, and about yeah. as enormous as it gets. Yeah. Oh, my word, they are. I mean, we talk about England being physical, right? And they are bloody physical. And Sam Hill's a wonderful player, and Ben Curry's a wonderful player. Uh, but they can match England for locks, and then one of their one of their loose forwards is going to be Peter, Peter Steph de Toy, who is enormous. Yeah, who yeah. can also play lock. If he, if one of those four, or sorry, if three of those four happen to go down. Sia Khaleesi is legitimately their smallest back five player. And I've met him. And he's enormous. <laughs> you know, Dwayne, Dwayne from Ireland will probably will, uh, will be eight, and he's enormous. Uh, hang on, uh, Gregor Smith will be their smallest back row player, surely. No, well, not if he doesn't start. Because see, Khaleesi will start. In no, six. no, but in, in the squad. Oh, in the squad, yeah, yeah. Uh, Smith. But I think they play the same position, don't they? They both play six. Uh, yeah, South oh, African six. South African. There six, we go. Open side. Seven. Open side, yeah. Should we? Um, here's a question for you, uh, based on what you're saying about how giant the South Africans are, and dovetailing with another story from the week. Who, what rugby player would you most like to see get in the octagon, and maybe against James Haskell, who is going to make his debut there Ooh. in MMA? Ooh, against. I tell you, who would um, handily dispatch most people. Uh, with very little effort, particularly at this kind of thing. Uh, it would be X sale Shark. Can, can anyone guess who he'll want to say? No. X sale Shark. X sale Shark, no longer there. Tim? 
Oh, um, Vadim Kovalash. Correct. Oh, yes. Now you're talking. Now, he, this man was described as being able to out-wrestle anyone in the squad with a smile on his face. <laughs> like, it, it's not even close. He's also the best at sell sharks in the uh, handling drills and at table tennis. Table tennis, yeah. Table tennis was his thing. So, uh, Vladim Kobolash, because I just think he would man- manhandle anyone uh, because he's got a background yeah, in wrestling. Uh, any, any Georgian out of that squad, even the scrum halves, would ruin most rugby union players in an octagon. You've got to say, Georgia would be where you'd be looking. Yeah, or not looking if you're James Haskell. Yes. <laughs> yes, or not looking. Um, in terms That's of rugby reckon, players... Uh, Joe, Joe Marler's got a Zangief out of Street Fighter look, so maybe that will translate. Yeah. Although, you, you really want... You want um, the Iron Mike Tyson lookalike himself, um, Ellis Genge. Do you know, there's no one really in English rugby who I think, yeah, that guy. Because rugby players are notoriously bad punchers. Like, rugby punching is 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 hysterical <laughs> for how bad it is. <laughs> I mean, if they were good at punching each other, they these be, guys, yeah. they'd, they'd all be dead. <laughs> you know, like, you'd be watching games from 2006 and everyone would have, everyone would have died. So, um, then they're, they're rubbish fighters. <laughs> Uh, well, Sonny. Oh, I reckon. Uh, Even Sonny Bill's a rubbish fighter. Have you actually watched his, watch his boxing? Sonny Bill actually is a rubbish fighter, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You so, mentioned um, Ellis Genge. He actually tweeted um, James Haskell going, I want in. Yes. And you, you kind of. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming this is going to be a full on genuine fight where James Haskell will be at risk of getting seriously hurt yeah, and losing. Yeah, yeah, he's with Bellator. In, I mean, that's a legitimate thing. Yeah, I know, but are they going to put him up against someone that they know he can beat? I'm not so. I've got two minds on this, right? Number one would be anyone who was trained is going to be quite. If you're good enough to get, you know, if if you're good enough to be on the Bellator roster, you're going to be really, really good. You know, you just you just are. And unless you've ever trained at like jujitsu or some such thing, you don't realize even the guy with even moderate training is going to be really, really good. The other train of thought is James Haskell is a amazing athlete and he's enormous and he's determined and he's skillful and he's talented and he's already trained some MMA and he's fit and well. he's, he's fit. got a good good engine he, you know he's not going to panic he's not going to be like you know some sort of CM Punk char- character um, I think he's going to be really good I think it's an interesting one I can't imagine being a striker for for lots of reasons, including the reason you just said about how terrible uh, rugby players are. Yeah. But if he can take it down to ground, he'll be a great grappler. I completely agree with that. Yeah, with with a lot of weight behind him as well. Yeah, you wouldn't want James Haskell on top of you. Well, not everyone. <laughs> Chloe. Chloe doesn't Now, Tim, sure. why do you have to lower the tone? <laughs> Just leave that one there. Um, leave that on to hang. <laughs> but genuinely, I reckon Ellis Genge is is a guy that yeah. I reckon he would have that mentality. He could switch it on. Yes, I'd love to see that. And I think he might be a pretty handy striker as well. Yeah, probably, probably. Uh, well, let's make it happen. Ellis Genge versus James Haskell. Two other squads announced this week. We mentioned them before. The Wallaby squad. Any uh, big takeaways from you guys on this? Not really. Loaded generic backs and uh, and, and a couple of wingers. <laughs> There's a few interesting things. So, obviously, James O'Connor is an interesting addition. He's in. He is in. He's Thanking higher powers and almighty forces and whatever else he puts it down to. I did notice that. The breathing, did it? The breathing. The breathing. Who, who, who do you think? Uh, sorry. Who did he thank? Uh, he think a higher power or, or something like that, yeah. And um, 
that at Saviour World, the guy that's got him doing the fun- funky breathing. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so much to say about this. Jim, um, James O'Connor is in. Good for him. Well, well done. That's amazing. AAC is in. Adam Ashley Cooper at 35. That's also amazing in a very different way. It is, which which means because Jordan Petier, 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 um, is in, who's 18 years old. You've got winger, one winger who's 35 and one winger who's 18. Although both are probably going to be considered more as outside centres. Yes. Outside backs. Well, you've only got one wing available, haven't you? Because Corabetti's playing every second that they can get him on the field. Yes. So who's the other? And how? And how? Petty will probably be the other guy. No, um, Reese Hodge. Reese Hodge. Sorry, Reese Hodge will probably be the other guy based on uh, performances. So wh- it would. It probably would be uh, Hale at Petty if they had the world's best fullback in their squad. Yes, but they don't. Mm. Well, just back to Reese Hodge. I got the two confused a second ago. Does he look like a world class winger to you? He doesn't look like one to me. I think. I think he's a, a good player. I think he's I, a I, good I, player. I, I think Cora Betty looks like a world-class winger. I think Anthony Watson and Johnny May look like world-class wingers. I think on his day, George North can still. I don't think um, Reese Hodges. Hmm, It's an interesting one. He's just a good all-round rugby brain. Mm. I I bet if you asked him his preferred position, he'd probably say 13. Yeah. Maybe maybe even 12. But with, um, well, now JOC, but um, Karindrani and Karevi... You're struggling for, and also James O'Connor can play on the wing. He's a back three player, and actually he's mostly a wing. When he first not at his size, I know he's lost weight, but still not at his size. Who um O'Connor? O'Connor, yeah. Yeah, But he was very small, and then he did I don't know some breathing, and then got a lot bit bigger, and now he's um, slimmed (laughs) down again. But like when I when I interviewed, I've been doing it all wrong. I've been trying to shift tin in the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Breathe. (laughs) Well, when I was when I interviewed him when he first showed up at Sale. Um, he was an out-and-out winger, an out-and-out winger. And the reason he came to sale is because he was promised to play fly-half. You know, he's never really fit enough to get on the field. And because he had the skills to play fly-half, but he also has a wing, obviously, you know, people messed around with him with full-back. And or, he's not... Or in the centre. Or in the centre. But he's either a wing or a full-back primarily. So if Reese Hodges is a very good 13, it might be worth looking at, you know, swapping those two around, or there might be something to do there. Yeah, yeah. And well, just like maybe, maybe just like just sort out their 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 sort of breathing um, routines, and mm. then you can do what you want, flip yeah. it around. Exactly. It's a, it's a it is a nice story though, and good on him. And hey, well, listen, I, I can't let the podcast go any further without mentioning our live pod. What? Oh, yes. What, what, what live pod? Come <laughs> on. How have we not mentioned this already on this podcast? Podcastlive.com. Time is running out for you to join us on September the 7th at Twickenham at HQ to come and see our podcast live in the newly renovated East Stand. Come and gear up for the World Cup. Come and preview the greatest rugby show on earth on the day that England fly out to Japan, the day after they've just played their final warm-up game against Italy, at Twickenham with a load of other podcasts happening all on the same day a big rugby festival we want you to come and join us podcastlive.com time is running out get your ticket come out we'll be then having some Negronis in yep. Richmond or, or Twickenham on the river afterwards we would love to see you there podcastlive.com get involved yeah and I want to meet there's someone I really want to meet in the podcast festival I'm, I'm really looking forward to it presumably 
the two fans, and I do mean two fans, the only two fans that bought tickets for Stephen Jones's show, will still be there. So if you are around, I know it's embarrassing, but say hello, put your hand up, and I will personally buy you a Negroni for being so brave and and admitting it. So, uh, yeah, look forward to meeting those individuals. And hopefully they'll be wearing one of our Akuma Akuma rugby tops. Absolutely, go to akumashops.com slash eggchasers to get one of those. Yes, the fabulous merino wool. Speaking um, of stash, did you uh, just see George's kit for the World Cup? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, the maroon and the white. Pl- yeah, like plum-coloured jersey. Yes, yeah, F- fairly standard. That's good. It looks it looks a little bit closer to what an England change kit could look like, mm-hmm. but that's because it's a Canterbury kit. But it's good. I like it. Yeah, it's fine. There you go. It's nice. <laughs> Did you see the Worcester Warriors kits? No. So maybe I've seen these. Worcester Warriors did a kit launch. I'll see if I can get them up now. Um, mid- Please tell me it was as good as Scarlets. Uh, <clears throat> it was not as remarkable as Scarlets. I'm afraid. Uh, I wonder how long we're gonna have to live to see another kit launch like the Scarlets. There we go. There's there's a little one. Three kits. Home, nice, home nice. away a European. Oh, I like the middle one. Nice. I, I think I think they're very nice. So these are VX3, so uh, an unusual size, or different different brand. Um, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have kit manufacturers that, that sound like they could be planes <laughs> <laughs> or well, motorbikes. I kind of think you're on something here, Tim. And that's well, the way I think about watching rugby is I, I'm t- sort of torn. People say the Six Nations is a great way for people to get into the game so you go to like the Six Nations and you love it or you watch Six Nations and after Six Nations you think oh I wonder what Owen Farrell does in his spare time so then you go and watch Saracens and then you Saracens think oh what am I going to do next oh, I'm going to go to Old Albanians and, and watch them and you know that's how you get into the game as such uh, but I think it should be the other way which is you go to Old Albanians first and then once you've you know had a few games watching them then you're allowed to go to Saracens and once you've <laughs> got enough stubs of Saracens then we will let you into England you know that that's how it should be so you want like a reward scheme yeah like, like a Nando's or Cafe Nero where yeah. you get your card stamped for... Exact, exactly right. So you'd start you know, at Old Bedian's Rugby Club, eventually yeah. go to Sedgley Park, and then you're allowed into Sale Sharks, and then you've got your n- enough credit to go and watch an England game. That's yeah. how I'd like it to work. <laughs> and I and think- if you you could get an extra stamp in your loyalty um, thing, loyalty book, if you bring along someone to watch a game, that, oh. you get a stamp for them as well. You can almost go up a level. Yeah. You know, you're almost, yeah. yeah. So that's a really good idea, that, Tim. Um, so, anyway... I think it should be the same with the kit, kit manufacturers, which is okay. You want to make Worcester's kit? Well, well, that's cool. Have you got any uh, anything from the lower leagues that, that, that they can show us? Have you got any sort of track record? You shouldn't just be allowed to steam into Worcester and, and make their kit. In the same way, you shouldn't be... And like Macron should have had a strong track record making local kits before they took on the Scotland job and, indeed, the Ireland job. Speak, uh, speaking of kits, actually, um, I don't think either of you will have seen it properly, but... France didn't play particularly well. They were in their change kit. They're white. Um... Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Look at sportif mm. kit. It is beautiful. Of course it is. It is just of course it absolutely is. lovely. You, and oh, just it used to be nice. And this is kind of going against what I just said. Is the Kappa kits for Italy? For Italy, yeah. Back Italy. in the day. Yeah. What did Kappa make originally? Was it tennis equipment? Don't know. Then I remember having been about nine or ten years old and having some Kappa poppers. And they were really cool, weren't they, back yeah, in the day? Yeah, yeah. I also remember them being... Scally, yeah, it was like Scally tracksuits, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah well, absolutely. I remember when, being... when you're nine or ten years old, that's what you want. Yeah. I remember them yeah. being the go-to um, outfit in the film, the Danny Dyer film, The Business. <laughs> he used to wear he, Kappa. He had, and feeler. I remember Fe- yes. Very short feeler shorts. Did Fila ever make any kits? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Not, no, not rugby as far as I'm aware. They never had a football. It was, uh, so Kappa did oh, the bo- Scally track boots. Then, then they did the Italy football kit. Yes. Kappa, I've actually got a Kappa kit in, in the dungeon. Phil's just pointed it out. Treviso. Be- Benetton. Uh, my, my beloved Treviso. Benetton Treviso. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Kappa, Kappa that um, Italian football kit, the, the skin-tight one. Yeah. I'll tell you the best one. They did, um, I'm sure they did top, top Tottenham. Yeah. Yeah. The funniest was the skin tight kit, which was loose around uh, Jermaine Jenis's arms. <laughs> so he had to have electrical tape around his arms. So pathetic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tight between what's that? That's actually funnier than watching middle aged men wearing that Tottenham football kit. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Um, I feel we've missed a, a squad we have Argentina. Argentina. A couple of surprises in Argentina. Three three surprises, or two big surprises, really. Cordero? There's three European players who uh, did not make the squad. Right. Cordero? Issa? Issa. Issa? Issa, the number eight Issa, did not make the squad. That's a surprise. Uh, uh, Cordero is shocking. And then Herrera, the tight head prop. Mm. Uh, stad, tight head prop. So the three of those are very, very handy players. So well, it it does feel like a bit of a gamble from Ledesma to not take those, although it is showing faith in the guys he has more access to more of the time. Well, will we have the rest of the squads by um, the end of the week? Probably not this week. I think I think some are only announcing like the first week in September, which is the last of the one. When does Scotland announce us? Uh, probably next. Either next. It's in the next two weeks. It's got to be because we need to build our barbarians team. Our hypothetical barbarians uh, team. Yes, with the remain with the remaining off uh, off casts. Well, maybe that could be something that we we do, um, either at the live show or just after the week after. Excellent idea. Excellent idea. Um, so yeah, Argentina. A couple of shocks in that. Uh, one one thing that Tim, we've not mentioned this to you. Jay and I were talking off-air, um, about one of the things that we might be doing f- for the live show. And we might be looking at solving or answering a couple of kind of existential rugby questions um, as part of the live show. But the, the plan would be to put out those questions on next week's pod. So, mm-hmm. we, so we'll have a think. And if you have a think at home, 
get in touch with us at Rugby Podcast if you think you've got an existential rugby question that we we might be able to answer on that, yeah. on that live pod. Excellent. Any other news? Uh, I'm thinking like um, so. I'm um, I'm I'm. Can you give me an example? Like which level eight team would Owen Farrell uh, work <laughs> with best? <laughs> not not exactly what I was thinking, but like um, let's say. Um, Who's got a cooler dad, George Ford or Owen Farrell? <laughs> Poss- if, how, how about um, if? Um, oh no, go on, Phil. You were about to say one. Well, I, I was I was just thinking in the in the build up to the World Cup. Um, who's done it right and who's done it wrong? So at, at that stage, we'll have seen pretty much all the warm up games. We'll know certainly England's four results. We'll know Ireland or three of Ireland's four results. We'll know what South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, what they've all done. Have, have it, has any of them have any of them made any fundamental mistakes, um, or can we learn from them for the future? Mm-hmm. Maybe that kind of question. Or maybe I've got one as well, which is I've got a suggestion, which is um, if a rugby player's wife or girlfriend, if their wag oh. um, f- uh, falls in a forest but doesn't take an Instagram post of it, <laughs> did it really happen? That's a great question. That is a great, great that, question. That is probably more existential than mine. As yeah. Well. Um, yeah. And it's pressing well, too. I, I mean, it, it links to something I noticed this weekend. When I was watching the cricket uh, at that uh, poolside rooftop hotel bar at altitude, um, but there was loads and loads of Greek um, Gen X, I think they call them now. The Gen ones X. that are a bit younger than millennials. Gen X? I've got it? no idea. It sounds like a games console to me. <laughs> yeah. Well... There were these Gen X, and it, it was—it's bizarre. And I know I appreciate this sounds like it's a very middle class, uh, I'm sorry, very middle-aged thing to say, but I could not fathom what they were playing at. It, it seemed like in this little group of three that I was watching at one point, it seemed like only two of them at any one time were allowed to do anything. The third person, <laughs> which rotated, had to be documenting what they were doing oh, by taking photographs of. I gym culture nowadays. It's I mean. Bizarre. I've been uh, I've been going to uh, the Virgin Active in Sulphur Keys, right? And um, uh, anyway, um, and I see it's people. Good you, it's good, it's good, Jay, because there's some people that might want some inspiration and might want to come and see great me, lifting technique. Now know where to find you. Me lift, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I've seen people in there who are not in particularly good shape at all. I mean, the opposite to that, you, uh, you might say. Yeah, on the. On the curl, the little preacher curl thing, and they take pictures of themselves and they angle their phone at say, like sort of like forty-five degree. And I'm wondering why would they do it? But they are—they're doing these Instagrammy posts that, and you know, they are not the sort of person you'd expect to be doing in um, Instagram posts. Far well, from it. You know why they're on the curl? No. The best lighting. That spotlight directly above you. You've got the best <sighs> downlighter, so you Someone can find that... the per- perfect angle right you... by the mirror. Of course, of course. <laughs> but yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. It should be a place of work. It should. I, I never take my phone into the gym. I I, I only take my phone in <laughs> into the gym. I I can't if I don't have a podcast in. I panic. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I don't like no, working I'm, out without. I'm all, right with, I'm all right with having it functionally to listen to something, but I, there's nothing worse than someone who takes about ten minutes between sets. And yeah. just sits there scrolling on their phone. Yeah. That is me. That is 100% me. I can't do it. What a scumbag. <laughs> what a scumbag. Um, I've got an existential question for you. Um, 
if the title of a World Cup is gen, um, is gen, gen, uh, is gender neutral, does it matter? It's, it's a very pertinent question given the news that was broke uh, was breaking this week from uh, what, what World news Rugby. Is this? So World Rugby announced, I think it was on Thursday, that they are no longer going to call the Women's World Cup the Women's World Cup. It's just going to be called the Rugby World Cup. Okay. So you're going to have the Rugby World Cup 2019, which you will know is the Men's World Cup, and then the Rugby World Cup 2021, which you will know is the Women's World Cup. <sighs> right, okay. So, uh, Fine. So, I mean- so brave, so brave, so... Uh- it, it's so honourable. It's just... It's annoying the fact they felt they needed... It's, I'm not annoyed by the action of it. I'm annoyed by the f- fact they felt there was some inherent good in doing it. When actually the more sensible thing would be to change the World Cup to the Men's World Cup. Or... Like just, like Saracens did with their, with their team... Saracens team Men's! Every week. Yeah. Saracens Ladies, Saracens Men's. Or Saracens women, Saracen's whichever women. one upsets you least. I don't care. I don't care. I genuinely don't don't don't, don't care. Um, but of all the things World Rugby need to uh, get their head around, a gender-neutral name is not one of them. It's pathetic. Yeah, it it does feel like it d- didn't need to be done. Uh, who did they think was going to stand up and applaud this? <laughs> like, oh well, well done, progress. Nobody thinks like that. Nobody thinks. In, in in that way whatsoever. I'd much but the BBC do this, and you will not be surprised to hear it. You you'll be you listening to Five Live, and all of a sudden they'll go and AC Milan beat Liverpool six six nil. What tonight? And then you look into it. It's like women's football, uh, but they don't tell you it's women's football when they're actually doing actually doing the scores. I don't see the point in making it gender neutral. I don't see the point in making a big song and dance about it. I don't see who it benefits. I don't see any of these things. It's an absolute nonsense. Uh, change it to well, men's and then keep. Like women's. Well, I, I can understand well, doing well, it. Well, go on, well, go on Phil. No, you go, mate. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, I, I I think acknowledging that both male and female competitions are happening and giving them equal footing is is the right thing to do. Uh, there's there's certain things that I would... Like well, no, 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 but like um, Wimbledon, for example, I find it patronising as hell when they say um, "advantage Miss Williams." I love it. For example, well, just, why? Why? It's just it's just what they say. It's like if if, if yeah, it was yeah. like if it's Master Federer, I would have no problem with that either, <laughs> or Mister Federer. But, but it's not. But it's not. So I would I would get rid of the Miss Williams. I think it's a patronising thing to do. So I, so I'm kind of on board. With, with with the point, I just think it's really badly executed. I've got I think much. Saracens have done it really well. They do their team announcements and say the, the, the Saracens men's team for this Saturday is. The Saracens women's team for this Friday night is. is. And th- that makes that makes total sense. Then you know where you are and you know what you're doing. The problem with World Rugby is that they've 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 tackled the same issue in in a different way and just made everyone's life harder. I wonder. I wonder if this is a better idea. I just thought of it off the spur of the moment then, and now I'm regretting it. But what if they ran the Women's World Cup in exactly the same location, same country, and same time as the Men's World Cup? Effectively, a festival of, of, um, of, of rugby. So if they were playing in Japan now, or in a few weeks' time, and I happen to be in Japan, which I am, and they were the, the opening games, I would happily watch them. Whereas oh, I don't yeah. think I'm going to go to San Francisco or 
wherever they're going to hold it to watch that. And I wonder if that might be a better way to not only give them equal footing, but also give them an equal share, or not an equal share, but a share of the massive pie, which is the World Cup, and expand all, um, all audiences and coverage all in one go. The pro- problem with that is you're then competing for viewers' eyeballs in a, in a six-week period. So most people can only watch one game per day or three games per week. Who, who, oh, who, uh, who are those people? Not podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, but you're competing with eyeballs against the men, and that's not a competition that you want to necessarily put out there. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm so wrapped up in it that I don't actually know what normal people think uh, anymore. <laughs> but I remember the last Women's World Cup. It's bloody brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, do... But would you have been watching that if... So if, like, the the 7pm kickoff was competing for you watching USA versus Tonga, for example? I feel that I would, because I feel the way it would work is almost like the Olympics, do when they have the daily roundup. So I tune in to watch the 100, 100 metres, and then I watch the weightlifting, because it happens to be on the, round, the roundup show afterwards. Hmm. And also, if women's rugby is on TV, you need to really like women's rugby to find it. Okay, that's basically Gen- generally. Okay. Yeah, you Whereas, can't call it women's rugby now. It's just rugby. Oh, sorry. If the rugby, <laughs> yeah. So if the rugby is on, then you're watching the rugby. But if the rugby was played at the same time as the other rugby, it'd be great. This is the problem, right? It doesn't make any. The wording doesn't make any sense. Well, it, if the the men's World Cup, without a doubt, will bring in more eyeballs of people who don't usually watch it, and then yeah. they'd be exposed to the women's game. And I'm pretty sure in the later stages they would get more. They would get more viewers. Definitely in the later stages, I think they would. You're right. So there you go. I've solved it for you. And no need. And, and it, well, well, there's one other thorny issue which we we, we don't necessarily want to get too deep into because I think this is going to be one that's going to get mentioned a lot. But but it links quite closely to this because clearly world rugby are are going down the route of not not acknowledging uh, sexual identity. Uh, um, I wonder where this could in, go in, in their language. Yeah, in the language, yes, good. I was going to say in their language. In the language, yeah. And and um, we've seen this in uh, boxing, in MMA, in weightlifting, and now rugby. Um, gender identity is also becoming uh, a, a story that is unfolding. Mm. Okay. I think I know where this is going. So this is a, uh, this is the lady who's playing at uh, Porth Porth Harlequins. Is it Porth Cole Harlequins? Porth Harlequins Porth in Holmes. the Rona, in the Ronda Valley. Okay, um, but, this is actually there will, there will be other people in, in in similar situations, transgender athletes. Yes, yeah. So I actually think this is quite a sad story. Uh, I mean, it's a there is a lot of blame to go around here, and I think maybe the only person who's exonerated from any blame is the individual that just wants to play rugby. Yeah, Kelly yeah. just wants to play rugby. Yeah, I mean that's fundamentally it's a story about an individual that wants to play rugby, and that and that's really the shame of it. Now the people have got stuff to answer for. First of all, the BBC they really need to uh, answer for something because it's not good enough. They just write this feel good story without any kind of reporting, any criticism, n- nothing really. They just went along and, and, and wrote it. Um, 
I thought they were journalists, but somehow they managed to uh, miss out the bit where Kelly broke someone's ankle, which is bizarre. They then quoted the coach of, say, of, of saying, you know, there are some, th- th- there are some issues, um, size, size-wise, of course, and she folded one girl up like a deck chair. These aren't particularly funny things, and these aren't particularly constructive things. So uh, the BBC to write, I mean, it just shows what idiocy must go on there to write that, um, write that story in the tone in, tone in which they did. The second thing I would say is maybe this shouldn't have been allowed to happen in the first place, um, her, her playing, uh, for some, some fairly obvious bi- um, biological reasons. Um, I just think it's put everyone in a terrible position now because if you are, for whatever reason, in that situation where you are a tran- transgendered athlete... Do you really need... And they're only playing low-level rugby. Do you need the exposure and the scrutiny of basically the whole sporting world now as you try and work out what you are, who you are, this, that and the other? I think this should have been stopped before it it even happened because the outcome is going to be... Well, I don't really care. I don't play... I don't play... Women, um, women's rugby. It doesn't affect me, but it will affect the women that play the game, and it will will affect the, this individual. I think the whole thing has been handled absolutely dread, dreadfully. Although there was some, there was some speculation that it came out on the BBC to get ahead of the story. Okay, that, that was the other, that was the other thing. But yeah, I think that it, well, it's absolute. It, I mean, it's well, d- awful journalism. Yeah, I don't like the way it's reported, only the positive sides. Yeah. To, to the point where, like, you've mentioned a couple of... Where things. was the ankle? Where was the ankle break? Yeah, and, and the coach joking that she's going to be a good, good player as long as we, she doesn't injure too many of our players in training. Yeah. I mean, that's not a joke. No, that's that, quite that serious. That is a serious issue. <laughs> that, so, I don't like that. I, I will say, from what I read and what I saw, they have followed the current protocols for reduced testosterone yes. for an extended period of time. There are, not just in rugby, that across a whole range of sports, there are questions over the current science, the data uh-huh. of those, I don't those think, protocols. You know, so they, they've, not, they've not done anything wrong in, in terms of the rules. But this is a case, isn't it, where you don't really need to be a scientist. You know, anyone that comes up to me and says, oh, what about the science? You know, uh, no. Uh, if you believe that the difference between yourself and your wife is, is your testosterone levels, you're insane. You're frankly insane. So let's not well, pretend. Well, it, it, it's the and it, sh- stop reducing the testosterone on short term will eliminate all of the long term benefits. That's that's the key thing mm. because you can reduce testosterone for six months, twelve months, eighteen months. That it has had a thirty year impact on the or twenty year impact on this individual. But it just that, doesn't. That can't be totally. It just eliminated. doesn't matter. These things just don't matter. Um, and yeah, you know, like I say, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me because I don't play women's rugby. And any transgender person is more than welcome to come and play men's rugby because, well, because the sexes are different. There's it, no advantage. It, it is there's different. No, there's no bi- biological advantage. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does It does feel like the best thing for, for everyone, including Kelly in this situation, if which, which she does. She wants the competition. She wants to enjoy the sport that she loves. It might have been better to play touch rather than mixed touch. Finally, we found a use for touch rugby. <laughs> you know, if there's if there's one um, silver lining here, it would be that. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I just think the the, me, the BBC's coverage of it was garbage. There's no other way to put it. 
garbage. It's, um, it's, it's a story to watch because, as Phil mentioned, the, the protocols have been followed and yeah. currently World Rugby's guidelines are for reduced testosterone for, I think, a 12-month period has to be proven before you can take part in competition. But And this is happening across many different sports. and It's a really difficult and sensitive topic for the people involved. But basically, is that testosterone actually mitigating the biological advantage you get from having gone through puberty as a male with added increased muscle mass bone density the levers the physiological shape of your body which allows a much greater amount of power strength and all the rest of it, Gee, I, let me I, think. and it appears like it appears like the data is saying that it doesn't mitigate it. And we, you're seeing why do we even need that, to talk in terms that, of data? We know for a fact it's not going to. You don't yes, need to talk in terms of data. You don't even need to dress up as scientific. No, anyone dressing up as scientific argument has been completely disingenuous. There is no scientific argument against this. It is so obvious. You you can find some people are suggesting there is because that's, that's because that's the basis because on which it, World Rugby made their pr- protocol. But I think it's nonsense. a very politically correct argument that's being made, and it's not it's not it's not real. It's not truthful. But I would I would prefer for facts to back that up yes. than put an, than put but an but opinion what, what, out there. How many more facts do we say, need? Well, that's an opinion. You know, this isn't a, an opinion-based thing. If you get any science to the contrary of what we know to be true, we know that that science has been you know, duped, or we know it's you know it, it's been it's been manipulated. It's ridiculous to the extreme. Um, and you know, back to you know, the, the the sad thing is, there's someone out there who just wants to be you know recognised for who they think that they are, and socially, absolutely. But you can't deny the facts are the facts, and you know. Being, if, you're, if you're putting people in danger, the physicality is the physicality. Yeah, yeah. That's just the end of it. And it, and it seems straight, and it does seem strange at a time when, um, you know, player welfare, quote unquote, is this hot button issue. That, um, well, that, that's why this is going to become a very difficult topic, but a necessary topic to cover because rugby is one of those sports where it can have a huge impact. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, look, it's difficult for the individual involved. It's not a difficult decision for me though. I mean, not even, not even slightly. Well, we'll watch this space. Just on the player welfare thing, I do just want to mention, you know how that, um, I can't remember the guy's first name, but Gabriel Arg, the French guy, yes. getting cited six-week ban. Hmm. I haven't seen the French squad. It hasn't been announced yet, has it? But no, if he no, misses no, out, no, that'll no. be dreadful when you consider Dan Bigger not a sausage. Hang on, mate. Hang on. Dan Bigger is a hero to the working man of Port Talbot and the rest <laughs> of Wales. Don't you paint those two instances the same thing? They're very different. Very different. They were, we'll see what they, the science they were, they says. Were equal, they were equally dangerous. I, 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 don't, I don't want Gabriel Arg to have been cited. I'm quite happy that Dan Bigger hasn't been cited. Um, and I, I'm quite happy that Rob Carney hasn't been cited. But you oh. look at Rob Carney's tackle on Tom Curry. You look at Dan Bigger's tackle on Maruitoji. And then you look at, or Billy, I can't remember, was it Maruitoji last week? Yeah. And you look at Remy Gabriel Arg's tackle. And you tell me why one of them got a ret- retrospective red card and six-week ban, risking a guy missing a World Cup, and the other two didn't get anything. I just I just do not get it. it it's it's really hacking me off. Mm. I can see why the inconsistency is, it isn't great. I have one for you. What did everyone think of Manu Tuolangi's tackle? Great tackle. Oh, Amazing tackle. Amazing tackle? Yeah. So, one Brutal partic- and beautiful. One particular rugby journalist... Um, has suggested it's not a tackle. And furthermore, expect to see more of this. 
I, I don't understand what the, what the argument could possibly be. C- can you? Well, he, he did a very long um, tweet today, mm-hmm. a, a structured nested tweet, whatever you call them. Um, about, I haven't seen this. About his position on that tackle. And he still thinks... He still thinks that he's right, but he's he's done a position basically setting out how he is listening to and how he has heard other arguments on it. Well, here's the thing which confused me. Expect to see more of it. So expect to see more of it sort of says... There is, you know, it's almost been predicted. Or I mean, whatever the whatever Manu had done could somehow have been uh, for, uh, forecast in, in advance, and there's some huge advantage. It's just a tackle. It was. I, it, I don't know what more of what exactly it made. So he was he was um, suggesting that Manu's arm was behind his body um, as he made contact, which. I don't think it was. I think Manu was wrapping his arm. But if it was behind his body, then it would fall into the uh, shoulder charge definition under world rugby laws. Um, and he was also suggesting that in, in line with the laws, you've got to be wrapping your arm, which, again, I believe Manu was. I w- he, which he doesn't no, think No, you was. have to attempt, attempt to ah, wrap yes, arm. Well done, world, rugby, world rugby have identified that sometimes the impact of a tackle means that you players bounce off and you're not actually yeah. physically able to fully wrap the arm so you have to attempt to which Manu did that was a clear attempt I, I, I cannot stand yeah. I cannot stand the way that this flow chart gets brought up on bloody Twitter after every bloody game for things that's just rugby play bloody rugby get well, on with it here's a th- here's a thought for you okay uh, the Manu situation is interesting okay because if enough people, journalists are the sort of people that all seem to think the same. I've yet to find many that think differently, to, differently to to each other. And I wonder if it's this sort of group think which is slowly pushing the game into this area of getting safer and safer and safer. And also the sort of thing which makes World Rugby say, "Hey, let's make a gender neutral World Cup because everyone with a blue tick is going to praise us and say this is great progress." And I just want, I, yeah, I, I think there might be something in that. They're so far removed from the average so rugby fan. Basically. See him? Virtue signalling. Is that a kind of a shorthand? Yeah, but more serious than that, because what the, what the lawmakers want and the bodies want is to basically represent the views of the fans. But I guess they think the views of the fans are the same as the views of these writers and journalists, and they're simply not. Uh, so when you make a gender-neutral World Cup and everyone says, hey, this is amazing, look at this progress, and everyone with the blue tick goes, this is amazing what progress we've made, they, they, they put a tick in the box, like, job done. And it's same, I think, with this Manu thing, which is, oh, this is an outrage. Now, thankfully, there's not very many people that's tended to take outside. Yeah. There's, In fact, there's, hardly any, thank God. There was only one that I've seen who properly took it. Mm. They did happen to be an Irish journalist, um, I'd suggest there might be... It is often hard to untangle yourself from the bias of... I would say in that case he's not biased. I think he's a pretty I, fair I, sort of journalist. Oh, no, I, I think he's a very... In, in, no, no, in, that, in that respect. He's a, in, he's a very fair journalist. I, I, yeah. I actually think he's a good journalist. Um, and, yeah, agreed. And I'm looking forward to meeting him on a podcast live. You don't want to give away his identity. <laughs> <laughs> <Everybody's>, um <clears throat> But I think in this there might be some bias because it was an Ireland player. I, I think I think it, it is just a fuss over nothing. 
I think it was a, yeah. a, a it was a, a it was a legal act. It was a very good tackle. It didn't help visually that Manu's shoulder made contact with the ball, which and. Um, it was on Jordan Lama, who is about four or five stone lighter than Manu. So yes. the, the two, the the combination of those things just made it look in slow motion worse than it was. Nothing to see here. Mm. Well, um, let's leave it at that. I, I guess uh, I guess we started with Manu. We'll end with Manu. One very quick final question. We don't need to go into this, but who is more critical for World Cup success? Dan Bigger for Wales, Manu Tuilangi for England. I would say Manu Tuolangi, based on the fact that Dan Bigger goes out and just... If if Wales lost all of their fly halves, okay, like they have in the past, they would find the next Reese Priestland who would, who would guide them to World Cup final. It's happened before. The thing which Wales have over everyone else is not great players, although the players are good. It's a great mind. It's a genius. It's a once-in-a-generation coach. Uh, of course, is Warren Gatland. So Warren Gatland is... Now, if Warren Gatland you know, happened to take an ill-advised fishing trip... Or ju- he's painting the roof of his house. God, no. No painting. <laughs> and jumps off a ladder. No painting. If he's trying to fix his toaster <laughs> with his... wet hands, <laughs> he's trying to change a plug, like uh, uh, that, fa- that relatively famous scene off, uh, off Neighbours, <laughs> we've got a problem. Dan Bigger is a big setback, but Warren Gatland's the problem. So for me, it's Manu. <laughs> I, actually, I I think while Manu was very, very good in this game, England have got other options. And listening to Eddie both before and after this game, England have got other ways of playing. No, they don't. So, Slade's going to be fit. Slade's going to be fit for the Italy game. Slade, Jonathan, Slade can't do what Manu can do. Jonathan Joseph is going to be fit. So. He can't do what Manu can do. You've got to find the only guy, the only guy, and this is why I'm so concerned about Manu, the only guy who could really replace him is... Ben, ben Teal. And he is not available. No and to available. me, that is like, oh my God, these, this is written in the stars. <laughs> no, I'm not worried. It's Manu goes I'm, down. I'm still not ruling out because, because of what you're saying. Because of what you're saying about um, Manu's fitness, you're quite right to point out, and that there is no like for like replacement other than Ben Teo. I'm still not ruling out an increased peak Teo. The horn could get dusted off yet. Wow. Wow. I, I think because there are there's, there's the exceptional circumstances clause, isn't there, which which England can invoke to select from abroad. Now, is Manu going down? But you've got Henry Slade and Jonathan Joseph fit and raring to go. Is that exceptional circumstances? <laughs> I, I don't I don't think it is. If if ta- it was good enough to bring back twice European Player of the Year. Steph Armitage back. I'm not sure it's good enough to bring back uh, Ben <laughs> Tail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would Ben Tail, being picked for England despite not being eligible, be bigger than when he got picked for the Lions? Yes. Yeah, I think it would be actually. If if they parachute him in, I mean. In my head, it can only possibly happen if uh, Tuilagi goes down, Joseph goes down, Slade goes down, uh, Pierce Francis goes down, um, Joe Marchant goes down. There's nobody um, there who does... Lazowski, Lazowski's nope. on the other side, of the, he's trekking to the North Pole. He's not going to do it. Devoto. Billy 12 trees. <laughs> no, no. Billy 12 trees. You've got to look at guys that do the same as Manu. 
which is basically nobody except for nearly Ben Tail. So and, nearly Ben Tail, right? And Ollie Lawrence by the time of the next World Cup. Maybe. maybe. Okay, there's Ollie Lawrence. By the time of the next World Cup. Okay. Not yet. Uh, you've got... Here, here is the very short list of people that can do even rem- remotely Manu-type things. Yeah. <sighs> Mark Jennings? <laughs> uh, uh, Are we talking just England players? Just England players. I'm not even sure Mark Jennings qualifies for England. I think he does. Yeah, well, I, I guess he he be, he's never played for Namibia. Yeah, so I think he qualifies. Um, um, you probably have to convert Tom Young's back to centre. Yeah, Tom Young's back <laughs> even, in centre. Even though, no. Um, Billy Sam Hill. Sam Hill. Sam Hill. Hang on a minute. Sam Burgess. Oh, yes, he's eligible. <laughs> there we go. Although, We're leaving it on a Sam Burgess note. He he will be closer yes. to Japan than most people in England will be. All he needs to do is run yeah. is, is run hard going forward. He can do that. Yes. Yes. Let's end it on Sam, Bur- Sam Burgess. Love it. Sam Perfect. Burgess. All right. So find us on Twitter, I guess, at Rugby Podcast. Find us at Twickenham. Uh, with, with, your, with your existential rugby questions. Yes. yes. Existential rugby, hashtag existential rugby questions, because that's a catchy t- uh, hashtag. And easy to spell. And easy to spell. Go and buy, go and buy a rugby top. Go, go and do that. Go to Akuma Shops. Uh, forward slash egg chasers or whatever you are you'll find it on find it on on google follow tim at cocker follow me at jay beardmore and i think that's pretty much about every about everything so we'll see you ne- next week and for those lucky enough we'll see you in two weeks time at twickenham from me phil and timothy goodbye bye cali nectar Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? 
I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts.